Hi, and welcome back to Seppa Stories. Thank you for joining me for this episode. And, and today, I'm not sure if this will be a, a clean recording. I'm hoping it is. We have got the most intense, crazy rainstorms happening right now. And I'm actually in my reading window where I do all of my reading. And I can see the traffic outside, and we've got lightning and every torrential rain, and there's the thunder now, and I'm fairly sure that's an impact tremor, but <laughs> it is incredibly rainy. So if there's extra noises in the background, I do apologize for that up front. I guess we're having an asthma moment where we've got some rain happening in the background. One of the things that is really pretty is looking outside my reading window, there is a pine tree that's grown pretty tall. It's like actually over the height of our house and part of the tree kind of arches over and hangs down in front of my window a bit and I can see water droplets hanging off of these pine needles and it's just really, it's lovely. It's, you know, really nice. It's a pretty visual. If I had a way to photograph to show you, I would. And perhaps once we have our YouTube channel up and running, I could actually video this for you. You could see, or you know, record this, and you could see what this looks like. It's kind of pretty. All right, so enough of that. I'm so sorry, I got distracted. I had a squirrel moment. Let's look at this story that we'll be reviewing and sharing in this particular episode. This story um, was located on archive of our own. And when I reached out to the writer, the writer very graciously is allowing me to share this story on SEPA Stories. And um, author's pen name is Mac5258MAK5258. And the name of this story is called Ghosts at Christmas. So we have a little bit of Christmas happening. I guess you could say in June. So, but with that, let's talk about ratings. This is rated general audiences, or would be considered um, your G or T rating. It's it's actually an A for everyone, basically. And we do have our main characters of being Hermione Granger and Severus Snape. We have some mistletoe and fluff elements. That just means it's going to be kind of a fun and gentle story. Again, the title is called Ghosts at Christmas, written by Mac 5258. And the summary is written by the writer, says, in which Severus waits an awfully long time to kiss her under the mistletoe. So with that, let's get ready to dive into this wonderful story. We will begin this story now. Ghosts at Christmas by Mac 5258 When she was a student, winter at Hogwarts had been its own kind of wonderful. The forest all trimmed in white, the lake iced over, the snowball fights in the courtyards between classes. She had a particularly fond memory of Fred and George charming snowballs to bounce off the back of Quirrell's turban, which would have been Voldemort's face at the time. She couldn't rightly remember if that was her own memory anymore, or if that one had been one of the stories Harry had told her. Winter at Hogwarts, as a teacher, was both wonderful and awful. There was the much-needed break from teaching and students, but that also meant a break from routine, and that she had to fill with other things. The cold that seeped through the old stones bothered her, 
the way it hadn't when she'd been a teenager, and the ghosts from the war, so many child ghosts, most of whom she at least recognized from her own time as a student, tended to make her sad at Christmas time, the way that they didn't during the rest of the year. Professor Granger, the headmaster said, appearing behind her in that way of his, headmaster, not being nostalgic, I hope. I'm always nostalgic on Christmas Eve. She turned so she could see him properly. It's tradition. He snorted through his nose, which was his version of Molly Weasley's pishtosh. She told him that once, and he'd laughed before he could help himself. If you truly wish to wallow in old memories, get the elves to bring you hot chocolate in the library. Madame Pence would never have allowed me hot chocolate in the library. True, but she can't bar you from it now, and you look cold. Winter eats through me like it didn't when I was a student. Yes, such age. Surely you will turn brittle and fall apart. I'll have to acclimate somebody else to the supply cupboards then, he said, sarcastic. How tedious. <sighs> she shot him a glare, but took up his suggestion and headed for the library. It was true enough that Madden Pence couldn't tell her off for having a mug of hot chocolate so close to the books, not only because she was the deputy headmistress now, but because Pence had gone to her sister's for Christmas. "'Has the castle ever been this empty at holidays?' Hermione asked, once they'd settled in the library. It was much warmer. The elves had kept the fire going near her favorite reading alcove. She made herself comfortable in the wing back she preferred, feet propped up on the ottoman near the fireplace. Her knee, which had ached in the cold since the war, began to hurt less. "'Not in living memory,' the headmaster said." comfortable in his usual place next to the fireplace. The warm red light glinted off his silvered hair as he gave the impression of both leaning against the mantle and looming over her. She'd stopped trying to get him to knock it off years ago, and he'd gotten her own revenge for his obnoxiousness by ignoring it completely. Before long, he would make himself more comfortable without the looming. "'And in yours?' she teased. He rolled his eyes. "'No, Granger.' It has never been this empty over a break. She shrugged and looked at the fire instead of him. Her eyes were probably dancing impishly or sparkling with amusement or something, and it would get on his nerves if she looked at him directly. He was amusing, though, in his own way. Once she'd gotten past his prickly exterior and began paying attention to his actions instead of his words, they'd got on very well. "'What do you like to do when the castle is so empty?' she asked. "'I rarely see you around during these breaks from the routine of teaching. "'I do much the same thing. "'Wander the halls, wondering what I did to wind up here. "'You don't have to make it sound like such a present sentence,' she said, a bit miffed. "'Some of us chose to end up here, you know. "'Yes, I know, and I think you are utterly mad. "'You always say that, Severus.' It remains true. She rolled her eyes and let the conversation go on for a moment. The fire was very nice, and the hot chocolate was as good as she remembered it. The company was good, too. The headmaster was always good for some needling, or if he wasn't in the mood to be annoyed, which was rare, but did happen, a proper conversation about potions. 
He didn't get to brew these days, so he was by turns annoyed that she'd devoted so much time to it and glad for the chance to talk to somebody current in the field. Their friendship had begun with daffodils. They were her favorite flower, and he'd had the house elves deliver her, a planter full of them for her office. He'd gone on at length about the planter itself, formerly his own, charmed to keep the plants alive and well, even in the depths of the dungeons. She'd made some comment about how she didn't recall seeing it in his office, but he'd been spiky for the full afternoon before settling down to tell her that he'd had it in his study, where he hadn't had a need to intimidate students so regularly. More flowers had followed, though it had taken her a very long time to realize he was giving her flowers, per se. Tulip bulbs, potion ingredients, and blooming lilacs from a bush that had grown in the same soil as a venomous tentacula, also for potions use. And roses. Oh, the roses. She'd yet to learn where he'd got them from, but the households delivered them every Saturday morning, without fail, and she spent her afternoons removing and crushing the thorns, chopping the stems, dehydrating the petals. The roses were her favorite part of her school week's routine, smelling so nice, while she worked with them before she spent her evening up to her eyebrows in student essays. After the flowers, there was the jewelry. They'd been working on a charms project together, satisfying their mutual curiosity more than creating new and spectacular things, and the final product had been anchored to a pendant on a long chain. The pendant was mother-of-pearl gleaming and opalescent. The chain was delicate gold. It was a beautiful piece, and it hadn't occurred to her to ask him where it had come from. The charms they'd put on it protected the wearer from a slew of low-level curses, warned them if they were about to activate a malicious ward, and turned it into a touch-activated port key that would bring her to her office, utterly convenient when she forgot something. A simple gold bracelet to match the pendant's chain had appeared in her jewelry box the week after they'd finished the necklace. The house elves had refused to fess up, and he'd even been less forthcoming. She'd worn the set almost daily, anyways. He always seemed pleased. She'd found the armband, silver inlaid with turquoise, in one of the drawers of her classroom desk. At first she assumed it had been slughorns, since he seemed much more the type to have such a shiny thing. And the headmaster had gotten so huffy when she'd brought her suspicions up that she knew better. It was surprisingly useful, too, for something so pretty. It fit just below the bend of her elbow, and had an undetectable extension charm on it, allowing her to slide her wand in place between the band and her skin, hiding it away, even when she wasn't using it, but keeping it easily to hand, even when she wasn't wearing sleeves that could hide her usual wand sheath. "'You're ill,' the headmaster said, interrupting her thoughts. "'Excuse me?' You're ill, he repeated. She pursed her lips and glared at him. Uh, you are? It's really none of your business, she said. He snorted, that pish-tosh snort again. You fell asleep just there. And why shouldn't I? She asked defensive now, even though it was a troubling thought. Maybe defensive because it was a troubling thought. She hadn't meant to fall asleep. She hadn't even felt tired, and yet she hadn't noticed that she'd fallen asleep or woken up. 
You are too young for naps like those, Hermione. He looked over, her critically scowling. She could see the concern in his eyes, though. She looked away, watching the fire for a moment. It had burned down a bit, but not much. He let her have the moment, calling a house elf to take care of the hot chocolate she must have dropped when she'd nodded off. Are you going to tell me what's wrong? he asked. I don't know, she said. Before you get touchy, the healers don't know either. That's why you went to Bermuda, he said. Yes, I was seeing a specialist. How can there be a specialist if they don't know what's wrong? I think they were just trying to give me hope, really. Go see the expert in the wonderful sunny place, you know. Yes, she shrugged. It's from the war. Some people have these lingering things, and some people came through all right. There wasn't much to say to that. She rested her head against one hand and looked at the fire. They were silent for a moment. You fell asleep again, he told her. The fire had burned down completely, and the moon was fully visible out of the window. It was a good nap, though, she said. I feel better than I have in years. She stood and stretched, putting her feet up and keeping near the warm fire. It had done, such a, done its trick on her knee. It didn't ache at all. There wasn't the dull pain in her chest, either. She barely noticed it anymore on top of all the other little things, and especially because she'd had it since the Department of Mysteries affair at the end of fifth year. I didn't realize it was as bad as that, he said. He was closer to her than she could remember, his being standing almost within reach instead of looming over by the fire. It isn't that bad, she said. She rolled her shoulders, trying to call up a mental list of all the things she should try to take care of before her knee started bothering her again. Strangely, she couldn't bring anything to mind. He stepped up to her close, and she waited for the shuddering, cold feeling that came from proximity to any ghost. But it didn't come. He pressed a few fingertips gently, tentatively, on her cheek, and then his whole hand. What? She started looking back behind her at the chair. She hadn't risen from it at all. She was still sitting there, her head propped up by her hand. She looked like she was sleeping, but there was something in the droop of her shoulders that told the truth. I didn't think it was as bad as that, he repeated, turning her around to face him again. I didn't think so either she said. They stood together like that for a moment. You're awfully young to have died, he said. I'm the same age as you when you died, she pointed out, and I'm not nearly as young as most of the ghosts in this castle. You are, in fact, he said, the youngest ghost in the castle. I know for a fact there's a twelve-year-old who haunts the charms corridor. <laughs> That's Logan. He likes that corridor because there's always a first year or two when he gets turned around going to defense and ends up there, even after several months at the school, he said, and Logan is a 30-year-old ghost. You are, in fact, not even five minutes old. So that's how it is, hmm? Yes. I always wondered what that boy was up to. He avoided me. You were a professor. It would give away the trick. And you were the headmaster. Yes, but I was here from the beginning for them. You've been here an awfully long time. And I suppose I will continue to be, he said.
He moved toward her again, taking her hand. It was warm. They left the library. He held her hand as they passed through walls and then drifted down through the floor to reach her office. Her daffodils were there cheerful and yellow. She reached for one of the blooms, as was her habits, but stopped herself when she remembered that she'd be too cold to touch it now. Is this why you always stayed across the room? she asked, looking from him to the daffodil and back. You didn't want to make me cold? Of course. And is that why you've stayed so close to the square? You knew I was... No, Hermione, he said. Something about the way he said it warmed her from head to foot, and she wondered how close he'd let her get now that he wouldn't make her cold. He changed the subject before she could do more than take a step towards him, though. Now, is there anything in here that she would like the elves to destroy before they alert Sprout that the deputy she'd left in charge of the castle over the break has passed away in the library? <laughs> what? You mean pornography under the mattress or illicit potions in the store cupboards? Yes. <clears throat> Hermione laughed. <laughs> no, there's nothing. It will be Harry sent to clear out my things, and he already knows everything in my diary. And I kicked the dreamless sleep habit years ago. Will you humor me for a moment, then? Humor you? Yes. I'm allowed a bit of Christmas nostalgia of my own, you know. He wouldn't say another word on it. Just led her through the castle by her hand again. He brought her to the charms corridor, where nightly the charms professor had put a sprig of enchanted mistletoe. Hermione had heard more stories of students trying to avoid it or trying to break the enchantment without a kiss when they were caught beneath it than she cared to recall. The mistletoe, she asked when he passed, just outside the range of the charms. You were caught under it in the first year you taught, he said. She nodded, smiling at the memory. She'd kissed her first year on the cheek to get out from underneath it, laughing heartily at the dread on the little boy's face when he'd first thought he'd been caught under the mistletoe with the teacher, and she'd been about to plant a wet one on him. It was one of her fondest memories of the castle. Poor Mr. Avery, she said, smirking to herself. Logan told me about it, and the thought never really went away, he said, then stepped beneath the mistletoe. The charm really wouldn't work on him now since he was a ghost, but that was beside the point. He held a hand out to her. A proper kiss this time, I think, she said. He smiled. All right, my friends. This was the wonderful Ghosts at Christmas Time. We will take a short break, and then we'll join back again to commentary this really wonderful and lovely story, so stay tuned. Hi, and welcome back to Sepha Stories. All right, so in following our format, this is the commentary section of this episode. If you would like to skip the commentary to go on to our next story, you're welcome to do so now. And thank you for listening to our story written by Mac5258 Ghost at Christmas. Alright, so if you're continuing on to the commentary, and this will actually be a relatively short um, breakdown of the story. It's just so wonderfully read. Please um, hang around with us and let's get comfortable. Grab that cup of tea and sit back and let's talk about this wonderful story. All right, so Ghosts 
at Christmas by Mac5258 or Make5258. I absolutely thought this was a wonderfully written, delicate, and beautiful story when I read it. I tend to avoid um, themed fan fiction as a general rule. I don't normally look at, you know, like if it's, you know, Christmas time, I don't really go out of my way to look for Christmas themed stories. Um, if it's July 4th, you know, in America, I'm not looking for stories based around the holiday. I just tend to, you know, to like a good straightforward fan fiction. I thought, well, this is unusual because this story was actually published on June the 10th, uh, which is, this is a relatively new piece of writing. And I thought, well, I'll bite. You know, this is a Severus-Hermione pairing, and I hadn't seen a lot of um, stories pairing these characters recently, so I thought, let me check this out. When I started reading the story and I got to the end of the second paragraph, I knew that this story was going to be really special. Just the way that this writer recalled Fred and George and Hermione kind of having these memories and, you know, she was thinking about being at Hogwarts during winter and it was wonderful and awful. And so, you know, and the story goes on to elaborate on this theme of Hermione in Hogwarts or at Hogwarts during Christmas time and um, I thought that the way that the story started to unfold and, and you now see that Hermione is older and we come to discover she's the deputy headmistress and that she is in communication with the headmaster. I thought it was really wonderful that you don't really get a sense of how much time has passed until you kind of get further into the story. It made me think of um, Oh my goodness, what is the film? You know, the I See, I see Dead People, <laughs> that, that film. Um, that's going to drive me crazy. I just had the thought in my mind. But I did like that this story wonderfully um, surprises you at the end. You know, when she's talking to the headmaster and, and you're starting to hear the story about a courtship happening between the headmaster and Hermione, and, and you're already assuming that it is Severus Snape by the detailing of the headmaster's characteristics, the snorting through his nose, the looming over her, you know, kind of thing, and how he's snarky, and they kind of have this back-and-forth banter as she's been there these years, and how he started gifting her flowers, but hides it under potion ingredients, and they work on their project together, so these very active things that they are doing together, uh, you have no idea as the story is unfolding that he's a ghost and that, you know, she is living in the castle and aging, you know, a little bit year by year, but though not very old, she's young. She's, she's still a young woman, but she is no longer a child. So, you know, she's got aches and pains from the war, and her knee in particular is giving her problems, and she's tired, and, you know, she's feeling this strange sense of nostalgia, and I guess a bit of depression, seeing the child or the children ghosts at the school, some that she knew from her time as a student and during the Battle of Hogwarts. I thought those were really wonderful, and really nice details to add depth and texture to the story. So 
I thought that the unfolding or unfurling of the story was very well done. It was a very delicate read. And I loved how, you know, he's just kind of there. I liked the Christmas, not the Christmas, but the um, the gifts of jewelry. And, you know, they worked on, on the pendant together. And then she finds a bracelet. Then she finds the silver arm cuff, you know. And these are all things to her benefit, you know. So these are, I think, if the Severus Snape character as headmaster had been alive in this story, these might have been gifts of intent um, to court her. And so he is developing feelings for her as a ghost, loving her from afar, or developing a love for her from afar. It's certainly a deep respect. So then you have this kind of humorous story about one of her fondest memories, you know, um, being trapped under the mistletoe. and, And this is something that the headmaster has recalled in his ghost state you know it's never really left his mind so I thought that you know when she was in the library and you kind of want to go back and kind of reread the whole story because um, it said that Madame Pence had gone with her sister so did she pass or was she really away from you because Madame Pence is an older witch by this point she may actually just be away with her sister I have to go back and, and see how that reading clarifies for me as a reader but and then of course you have Madame you know um, Sprout who I guess would be the next to be in charge um, now that Hermione you know of course has passed in the library so I thought that her passing you know was done in a very delicate and sensitive way she's sitting in the chair she's in her favorite reading alcove and she keeps drifting in and out of consciousness but Severus is saying you fell asleep but we know that she's trying to let go you know of her life her body is is finally giving up and you know so she has the hot chocolate she drops it he summons ourselves you know they they clean it up and she's having these almost stream of consciousness thoughts as she is getting ready to you know, to go. In fact, she doesn't even know she's going, and, and he's questioning her. I didn't realize you were this sick. He, I think he can tell in that moment. And he's waiting for her. So I thought that it was just really sensitive and beautiful. And, you know, sometimes um, hearing or, or reading a story that is written about such an important life event as being born or passing from life you know sometimes you read stories and and the subject matter for however sensitive it tries to be it just doesn't capture the moment in a way that makes you feel comfortable there's the thunder I don't know if you can hear that there's some thunder going I said I'm sitting in a rainstorm um For me, this story did unfold beautifully in that way that it made you feel hopeful for the characters, you know, going into their lives as ghosts at Hogwarts. And I thought that it was a really beautiful story. So this might not have been a story I would have selected to read had this been published at or around Christmas time. And I would have really been cheating myself as a reader. I encourage you to get onto Archive of Our Own. Set up a membership. Or get on and just check out, you know, what's out there. Check this writer's um, 
workout. You know, this one was called Ghost at Christmas Time or Ghosts at Christmas Time. I am so excited to read more of this writer's work that this has definitely got me, you know, quote, quote unquote, or or I turn a phrase here, you know, biting at the bit to read more. I would like to find out, you know, what else this writer is producing and publishing. So thank you, Mac5258, for such a lovely and really delicate, beautiful story. You wrote it well. It just is comforting and warm and and beautiful it it had to me when I when I'm reading the story you can feel the cold and chill of the castle reading the story and her memories and as she's by the fire and the fire's dying down I thought that that aligned so wonderfully with what you were actually writing and the imagery the use of creative device technically for me this story knocks it out of the ballpark and you know it didn't have to be audacious in its writing it wasn't overly long as this is a relatively short read but this was a perfect story so for me as a writer I would definitely or not as a writer but as a reader I would say that this I would consider this to be a perfect story it was very well done and I'm really quite impressed with this particular with this particular fan fiction posting. So congratulations on such a wonderful story. Thoroughly loved it. And I can't wait to read more of what you're going to be posting, Mac5258. So with that, I want to thank our listeners for joining us here at Sepa Stories. And I hope the lightning and the thunder, well, you couldn't see the lightning, but I hope the thunder wasn't too distracting in the background. It's really loud. Um, And I really hope that everyone has a wonderful and safe rest of your day or rest of your evening. And wherever you may be, may good positive things happen and happen for you and may blessings follow you so with that if you like this follow us give us a share tell your friend about us share this with your grandma um that was a joke but you could if you wanted to but seriously if you are interested you know in in giving us a share a like a follow please do that we are very much working hard to ensure that really wonderful fan fiction is released out to you guys the listeners so that we have great stories to enjoy together with that we will see you next time thank you for joining sepa stories and listening to these and thank you for supporting sepa stories we have so much so much gratitude so thank you writers thank you listeners and we'll see you next time